Welcome to the Baseline Community Church Podcast. As uh, we are going through our series, Faces of Faith, talking about uh, the different aspects of faith that we see throughout Scripture, these different um, models or um, pictures, I guess, in the characters from the Bible. And as I was thinking about uh, this week, I was thinking about the movie Coco. Now, are, are any of you guys familiar, especially older folks? I don't know if you're all that familiar with Pixar movies still. I mean, it's Pixar. It's kind of... Anyway, so if you're unfamiliar with Coco, my son was obsessed with it. We watched this movie on a loop two years ago, I don't know how many times. Uh, and it's basically Dia de los Muertes about uh, Day of the Dead and, in, you know, the ancestors are able to come back and visit on that day if they're remembered. And um, there's this one character, actually Hector, right to the left of the guy with the guitar. Left? Yes. Um, he, his kind of story is that he is trying to be remembered. He's in, in the process of being forgotten. He's dead, and he really wants to be remembered, but it's very difficult to influence the you know, human world when you're dead. So um, there's this one scene that always stuck with me. If you guys are familiar with this movie, it probably sticks out to you that um, he goes and visits this kind of shanty town where in the land of the dead, where all these skeletons are all in the process of being forgotten. And he comes up to this one character who is literally, oh God, <laughs> I'm going to lose it. <sighs> He's literally being forgotten. And there's something about this moment right there that just sticks with me. And I mean, don't get me wrong, this is a very emotional moment, as you can tell, from this movie. And I don't know what it is about that that so gets me. I mean, somewhat in the, in the movie, he is forgotten and then he basically disappears. He basically ceases to exist. So there's a part of that that is really scary to me. But there's something about being forgotten, I don't know, that really that really strikes a chord in my heart. Like, I mean, I think about what we talk about with kids, right? When, when a loved one or a pet or something dies, uh, what's the common phrase that we say, right? They're never really gone as long as we remember them. What if we don't remember them? Like, are they really gone? Again, I'm not, I'm not quite sure why that bothers me so much, but it did make me think about the flip side. Because on the flip side, our heroes, we always remember our heroes. I mean, we're still telling stories about Daniel Boone, Davy Crockett, Amelia Earhart, Jackie Robinson. You know, like literally every year on Jackie Robinson Day, baseball players are still telling stories about what he did. We're telling about Davy Crockett dying at the Alamo. Like, we, we tell these stories again and again to say nothing of like heroic sacrifices. You know, we still talk about the firefighters from 9-11. We still talk about, like, the, the 300 from Thermopylae that died, to, you know, fighting the, the, the heroic fight. I was just watching, there's that series from a couple of years ago on HBO about Chernobyl, which just blew me away. All the people that willingly sacrificed their lives to contain this disaster, to save countless others. We always, we always remember those people. And so for me, I guess, that's where what really drew me to who we're talking about today, which is Stephen. So I, I don't know if you guys are f as familiar with Stephen um, as some of the other ones that we've talked about, but Stephen um, in the early church 
uh, if you recall, the, the church um, really exploded. You know, Jesus died, was resurrected, uh, ascended, then the Spirit fell on Pentecost. Peter and all the disciples went out and started preaching in all these different tongues, and it said 3,000 people were baptized that first day. So here's this church, about 100, 120 people. The next day, there is 3,120 people. So this church just explodes. So the Jewish leaders, understandably, are a little freaked out about this, and so they end up calling Stephen in to, um, to testify. And he gives this, this, actually one of the longest recorded sermons in the entire Bible, where he really goes through like the history of Israel, talking about like every time God raised somebody up, you rejected them. And then he gets to, then he brought his only son, and you rejected and you killed him. And that's where he gets right here at the end in uh, chapter 7. We'll start in verse 51. He says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised heart and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through the angels but have not obeyed it. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, fully of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voice, they all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. When they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. And we remember him to this day. Like, in some ways, one might say, like, Stephen was kind of like the first hero of the church. He stands and boldly proclaims Jesus even to death. And this weird thing I was sitting with this week is like, there's a part of me that's a little envious of Stephen. Which sounds really weird. I know, I mean, I don't know, but I, I've heard how horrible stoning is. I mean, literally what they're describing is people picking up rocks and hurling at them one after another until he dies. Literally, it's a horrible way to die. So I'm certainly not envious of that. But there's something about, like, being remembered for all 2,000 years ago. There are churches built in his honor. We're, we're talking about him right now. Why, why is that something that's important to me? Well, I think it has something to do with, like, wanting to be important, you know, wanting, wanting to matter, that I want my contribution to the world to be valued, and to other people, too. There's a part of me that, if I think about it, like, you all know me. If I leave today, you'll probably remember me. In fact, like, my children, my children 
know me and will remember me. Hopefully I'll get to meet grandchildren someday and then they'll know me and remember me. But like my great-grandchildren? Like the reality is, like when I think about it, I knew my grandparents. I've heard a couple of stories about my great-grandparents. I could not even tell you the names of my great-grandparents. So have they been forgotten? And, and if they were forgotten, like, I don't know, did they... Did they were they important? Did they matter? For me, that really, that really sticks with me. That really, that really bugs me. And, and, I, and I, was, I was wrestling with, again, why? Why is that so important that, I'm in, that I am important, that I matter, that I am valued? And I was thinking about um, back, oh, I don't know, 15 years ago or something like that, I was working down in Irvine, California. And I used to do like meetings with clients and stuff like that in this Starbucks. Uh, don't go to this Starbucks. I'm not advocating for this particular Starbucks, so I won't tell you the address, but it's the one right by where Mark McGuire, the baseball player, lives. So he would be in that Starbucks from time to time. And I, and you know, steroids and all that whole other thing aside, uh, I loved Mark McGuire. Mark McGuire, I'm a big baseball guy, and he was, I mean, especially like 1998 when he broke the home run record. I was a senior in high school, so he was the guy, and he was in that Starbucks. And I was like, I want to go up and I want to say something to him, and I didn't. And the reason why I didn't is because I didn't want to be like, hi, Mr. McGuire, I really like you, like, because he probably hears that all the time, right? And he's just going to be like, well, thanks for me, okay, blah, blah, blah. And it's just going to, like, to me, I'm like, I would really love to say something to someone who is important to me that is important. I'd really love to say something that he remembers, that my words actually have value and are important. But I didn't. And, and again, why, why, why is that so important to me? Why is it so important that I'm important, that I'm valued? So I was thinking about, like, uh, my parents growing up, right? Where, you know, your, your parents always tell you that you're special, always tell you that you can do anything that you set your mind to. And so I believe that, you know? I, there's a part of me that I think believed that if I just applied myself, then I could be great at something or this or that or the other or all of it. So the question is, is less about do I have it and more, like, am I going to use it? Because I am special, right? I am important. I am a big deal. But then, what about the flip side? Like, what about like a, like a fear of failure? Is there some of that in there? Like, like, I don't know any of you guys that grew up in the kind of a household where, you know, we don't get C's in this house, we get A's in this household. Creates a certain level of like, this is the expectation of your specialness, or whatever. Like, what, what, yeah, what, what is it, why is it so important that I'm special? And I wonder if that's a deeper thing. Like, am I valued? I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about the, uh, uh, going back to, to high school again, thinking about the death of a salesman. Did anybody read that in high school or seen the play or something like that? Uh, that one, again, really stuck with me because that's the exact same thing that Willie Loman, the main character, is struggling with. Or not struggling with, no, he's given up on this, is that he keeps telling his son, I'm a big deal. People are going to remember me when I die. He ends up pretty much committing suicide to prove it to his son, and 
he was not a big deal. Nobody showed up to his funeral. There's a line where his son Biff says that we are, I don't know if it's the line, but he says that like we are ordinary people living ordinary lives. And man, that, uh, that makes my skin crawl. That idea that just like I am just an ordinary person. There is nothing spectacular or unique or special about me. I'm just ordinary. I don't know. What is it about that that really, that really gets under my skin? Um, I, was, uh, I was able to go on a prayer retreat about a, a month ago now. And I, I, to be honest, I was a little bit nervous. I'd never been on a prayer retreat before, and I really wanted to, like, you know, get the most out of that prayer retreat. And um, so, you know, going through the time, and on my last morning on this retreat, uh, I went for, like, a walk. And this was the thought that popped into my head. Like, do... Or actually, my specific, my, the specific thought that was popping into my head is, do I feel like I am valued at Baseline Church? And to be honest, I was wrestling with that. There's some times where, you know, a youth minister is kind of a, you know, you deal with like the wackadoo kids. So that's kind of its own little, you know, skill set or whatever or um, and sometimes, like to be honest, like when Easter came along, and I think some of you guys kind of said the same thing with, you know, all the people that were going on and all the stuff that was happening, I didn't really have a role to play. I was just kind of like, hey, I'm here. Like, and there was a part of me that didn't feel as valued. And then the second question on this retreat popped into my head, so what? Why, why does that matter? Which then led to a third question. Do you feel like you're valued by God? That was the one I'm still wrestling with, to be honest. Because for me, absolutely, I mean, I've been a Christ follower long enough, I know the answer to that one. Of course, of course I'm valued by God. But I've found there's a difference between knowing something and knowing something. You know what I mean? Where it's kind of like, do I think I'm valued by God? Sure. But do I feel like I'm valued by God? Do I believe I'm valued? Do I function in my life as though I am valued by God? And that's been a tough one. Because for me, the word valued, the word important, the word special, even as we talked about again, being remembered, those are all fairly connected. And the fact that, like, I know if I cease to exist, or like going back to what's a, it's a wonderful life, George Bailey, never been born before, right? If I was in that situation, God's plan would continue, you know? I'm not so crucial to God's plan that if I never existed, like, oh, well, there goes Revelation. Jeff never came around. And that's tough, right? I would love if I was that linchpin, that I was so important that I was Stephen, you know? I was a game changer in this whole biblical story. So what about Stephen? Because that's where I came back to, like, okay, what can I get? If this is the guy that I'm looking up to, if this is the guy that, like, man, I wish that was me, what's his deal? And if we go back, actually, one chapter, chapter six, it talks about Stephen's deal. Where did Stephen come from? Chapter six, verse one, it says this. It says, in those days when the number of disciples were increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. 
So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brother, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the, uh, the, so again, so here's the situation in the early church, yeah, where, uh, which one, I really love the fact that in the early, in that, the ancient Near East, one of the lowest of the low was widows. Widows had no, bear, no way to even provide for themselves. So the, tr- the early church said, well, this is our jam. This is where we belong. We're going to go and help those widows. So they did. There was a conflict between the, Hebra- the ones that spoke Hebrew and the ones that spoke Greek, which we can get into at another day. But so they decided to raise up these seven guys to go and to specialize in this particular area. Now, there's a verse a little bit later on that fascinates me in verse, uh, what is it, verse 8. It says, now Stephen, a man full of grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. And for me, I'm like, whoa, wait, what? Like, this was the guy that was picked to literally, like, serve tables. And this guy's out there doing great wonders and miraculous signs? Why isn't that the guy on stage? Like, why aren't we listening to him? Why isn't he giving his testimony? But instead, he's right, you know, he's, he's, he's serving tables. He's, he's distributing food to people. Which really made me wonder then, when that moment came, so if that's all, and that's literally all we know about Stephen. We have those little snapshots, and then the very next thing that it says is that he's pulled up in front of the the Sadducees. What's Stephen thinking right then and there? When he's pulled up in front of those, and he's forced to testify, is he thinking like, all right, finally, I get the stage all to myself. Finally, like, my name's going to go down in history. I don't know. We honestly don't know. But for me, there's one little last snippet that I think gives us a, 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 gl- a glimpse of that. And then it's, it, it was right there at the end. Remember with it said, <clears throat> then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against him. When he said this, he fell asleep. Where did he hear that? Do not hold this sin against them. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I think, I think Stephen was not thinking about how can I glorify myself in this moment? How can I be a big deal? How are people going to remember me? I think he's thinking, what would my rabbi do? What did I hear Jesus do on that cross? Because my rabbi would pray for the people who were murdering them. My rabbi would be serving the lowest of the low. My rabbi would sacrifice all value and all importance 
to the will of his Father. That his kingdom, the kingdom where the meek will inherit the earth, where the weak will be made strong, where the last shall be first, where those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I think that's what Stephen was thinking about. So what does that mean for me? What what does that mean for, for you when we're looking at this picture of faith? What does it have to do with me wanting to feel valued important, or special to God? Well, for one, it is not my skills, my talents, my abilities that make me valuable to God. It's not what I'm going to do or say, accomplish, or achieve. I am valued by God because I am his child which made me think about my kids. So this is AJ and Josephine. I don't, I don't value them because of what they do. I don't value them because of their skills, even because of their personality. I don't value them because of what they will achieve someday. I value them because they are they. Because they are themselves. Because they're they're my child. And if that's the way that God sees me, they and I will be just as valued and cherished if they never did anything in their life as if they did. And I know that as we're talking about this new church to come, as we're talking about what it's going to look like in the fall and beyond, I know that we want to build a church where everyone who comes in that door knows that too. Knows that you don't have to prove anything, you don't have to be anybody to be valued, cherished, and important to God. And that can't be a church where that job just falls on the pastor. That has to be a church where we can feel valued and we can make anyone coming in that door feel valued. And that doesn't have to wait until fall. We can be that church today. We can see someone who needs to know that they are valued and we can value the heck out of them together as a family. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this family. And thank you... Thank you for the honor of being your children and how how that's nothing that I can ever earn, that's nothing that I can ever deserve, and yet it's true and it's real. And I know 
that there are plenty of times when I don't know that. <laughs> Not really. There are plenty of times when I forget it. There are plenty of times when the value and importance that I see in others' eyes are more important than the value in yours. Help, help that change. Help me feel valued by you and help all of us feel that way too. Help us become a church that values and is valued. Let that sink into our DNA as we are, yeah, we are those kind of people. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Baseline Community Church, please go to BaselineCC.com.